Hey everyone, so before today's episode of Strictly Hoop Talk starts, I just want to make a, a quick announcement. So today's episode is with Harrison Wind of the DNVR. They cover the Nuggets very well and all Denver sports, but particularly the Nuggets, which is why he's on this podcast. And we have a lot of fun. We talk about Bull Bull, we make some jokes about Jokic, and, and we talk about all the four teams from this Northwest Division that are entering the bubble and now as games start, because today is, Ju- is July 30th, the season is starting, um, I wanted to drop the two-pack like I've been dropping with the other divisions. I've been dropping two at the same time. But however, I was unable to get the recording in for the Southwest Division preview just because uh, there was a lot of scheduling conflict and a lot of uh, difficulty navigating that. So, uh, So that will come. And it will come in a later day. Unfortunately, it won't come with this division preview. But, however, uh, I'm I'm very excited because this was a lot of great content. And I didn't want to hold on to this and have it be kind of come out as old news. Because we are talking from a sense of the season hasn't started yet. So I didn't want to wait a couple days or however long it takes to schedule this next Southwest division preview. And then have it, um, and then have it come off as, as old. So, that's why I'm dropping just one today. But the Southwest Division Preview Podcast is coming, and I'm very, very excited about the hip hop podcast I've been working on. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get like the best group of, of I guess the hip hop media I could ever get. In, my, in the history of my podcast, so I have very, very high expectations because I think this is a very great think piece. If you liked some of the earlier think pieces I've done uh, throughout my podcast, you're going to love this one. So I'm very excited to get you that. And of course, there's going to be more on the hip-hop side to talk about, but I will get to that at a later date. So without further ado, today is July 30th. I hope you're watching your NBA games, and I hope you're listening to this podcast before the season starts. Um... I'm excited. Basketball is back. And man, let's just let's just get to it. Let's throw it to the intro music. Let's get this podcast rolling with my guy Harrison Wind of the DNVR Nuggets. Hello everyone, welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host Chris Platty. Very excited, NBA basketball is right around the corner. As we are recording this podcast, we are less than 24 hours away, or just over 24 hours away actually, from the NBA season resuming. Joining the podcast for the first time is my man Harrison Wind, covering the the DNVR Sports and DNVR Nuggets podcast. Harrison, man, how you doing? I'm doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Uh, also really excited for the NBA to get back. And uh, yeah, excited to talk some Northwest Division hoops here. Yeah, man. I'm really excited to I'm really excited to get to Denver because Denver's super interesting, which is why I'm glad I have I, I have you on. You had some interesting talks on your last podcast that I that I really wanna um that I really wanna get into a little bit more for Denver. But first of all, man, before we even get to the basketball, it just doesn't it, 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 it's starting to feel normal that basketball is coming back and it's starting to, 
it, it's starting to really get to me that like man this is this is actually happening this is a thing there's no new coronavirus cases in the bubble as we speak uh it, it started to feel like okay wow we're really going to get basketball again and this is really a a, a thing no definitely i i 100 percent agree the the no cases thing is obviously huge and I don't know about you, but I've just been really impressed with what the NBA has been able to pull off so far. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, they still have a ways to go. They still have another two months to go, potentially, maybe even longer than that into October. But I mean, for them to get as far as they have right now and, and to have no major issues and for the players to feel comfortable and for everything to go as smoothly as it has. I think it's pretty incredible, and uh, I've got, I think the league deserves a lot of credit for getting to where they have been without no major hiccups. And yeah, it, it seems like we definitely will get basketball here, so um, things are looking good. Things are looking good. Let's get to it. Portland will start there because we'll go from descending order. Obviously, Minnesota is not one of the one of the bubble teams. So we will be skipping Minnesota on this podcast, as all other uh, division previews I've done. We skip the teams that don't make the bubble. So starting with Portland, who is 29-37 and 37 on the season. Um, I'll, let, I'll let you start with this one, Harrison. So of all the things that so we got, we got Nurk's return. We got Trevor Ariza not coming. What to, what to you stands out as the most interesting thing about Portland as we get ready to start basketball again? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. But for me, it would be the Nurkic factor. And and I mean, he was so impactful for them last year, obviously, before the injury, even though the Trailblazers did beat the Nuggets in the second round of the playoffs without him. But I mean, for for them to make some noise and, and look, if they do get into the playoffs, they'll go up against the Lakers in all likelihood. So this all really could be for naught. But, I mean, for them to win a game against the Lakers, for them to win two games, maybe to make LeBron sweat a little bit, I mean, they'll need Nurkic to make a big impact. And especially with the Lakers' front line, like, mm-hmm. like they will need Nurkic and probably Zach Collins, who, who's looked okay in these scrimmages as well, to at least give them something. Uh, so, so that, for me, is the biggest thing. What will Nurkic give them? And based on the scrimmages, you know, you never know how a big man will come back from injuries, especially lower body injuries, but he's looked okay. Yeah. He's looked good. It seems like he's going to give them something. And uh, so, so, so that's the biggest thing for me. Just what will he give them? Because they'll need a lot from Yusuf Nurkic if they want to push the Lakers at all. Yeah. I mean, last year, just fast forward to, um, you know, a, a little more than a more, a little more than a year ago right before Nurkic got injured, I mean, his pick and roll with Dame and CJ was literally statistically among the best in the NBA. Like, I mean, he was he was a bona fide elite pick and roll player, and that really was the was the key cog of the Portland Trailblazer offense. So his loss was was huge, and like you said last year, they were able to put up an admirable fight without him and actually make it to the Western Conference Finals. But this year in the return, I was very bullish on on his return just because of the same reasons that you outlined. A big man, lower leg injury. Um, you know, that that's always that's always kind of dicey. But he's come back and he's looked pretty good. Uh he had the double double game. Uh he's been shooting a low percentage. He's been shooting about thirty percent to forty percent most games. But um but he's looking 
he's he's looking like you know once those shots start falling it's not like he's missing or he's missing makeable shots if that makes mm-hmm. sense so i think as the season goes on if portland is able to actually hang around for you know for a month for two months however long they're able to hang around um that will really help uh nurkic will really be a lot better i think we're going to see inc- uh just exponential improvement by him game to game and so he's he's a he's a big he's a big option, and that's what you and that's also what you mentioned that I like is that if they do end up facing LA for that massive front line, a guy like Nurkic is is vital to giving them any type of shot in that in that series. Yeah, for sure, and I like what you mentioned there about kind of his touch around the rim. I've got to think that's one of the toughest things to get back as a mm-hmm. big man, and we've even seen this uh, with the Nuggets here in these scrimmages uh, Jokic uh, had coronavirus obviously there's a little rust on his game right now he doesn't have the typical touch around the rim that he had when the season was going on so can't say I'm that surprised that that aspect of uh, Nurkic's game hasn't returned it's funny because Nurkic when he was in Denver to start his career uh, underwent surgery for a tear of his patella tendon and mm-hmm. uh, back in 2015 and he was actually really slow to get back from that he, he was supposed to come back at the beginning of the season and didn't make it back until uh, December or maybe even January uh, of that year so you know if he comes back and looks really strong you know you gotta give a tip of the cap to him that, that he took his rehab seriously this time around but um yeah, he's a game changer for them. He's clearly, you know, their third most important player behind mm-hmm. Dame and CJ. He's that guy. I'm also a little interested to see how that front court works out, just that front court rotation, because yeah. I believe Nurkic started at power forward in one of those scrimmages next to Hassan Whiteside. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that kind of trio of him, Collins, Whiteside, uh, whoever else they want to throw in there sorts out as well. Yeah, and um, sorry if you can hear the rain through the. It's starting to rain pretty hard here in Michigan right now. But um, speaking on Nurkic's return and playing power forward with Whiteside, that's something that that's a lineup that I could see them running. I don't know how often they'll run it against uh, against most teams, but that could be a lineup I could see them running against uh, against LA in particular, a team who who kind of naturally plays that way anyways, right? Like, because AD is so adamant on playing the power forward. Now, granted, Anthony Davis is is a much different power forward than, than Nurkic at power forward because Anthony Davis shoot threes and all that stuff. But um, I I still see, like, that, that particular series of Portland versus LA, I could see them actually being able to go to that more than, say, against the Clippers or the, uh, or the Rockets, right? Yeah, and they'll probably have to because, I mean, what other options do yeah. they have? <laughs> With Trevor Ariza out, I mean, mm-hmm. they just don't have a lot of options to turn to because the other thing you can do against a team like the Lakers is, you know, just like play to your strengths yeah, um, and play small and maybe downsize uh, and focus things more around Damon CJ. But the Blazers just don't really have the personnel. I mean, they're starting Carmelo Anthony at small forward most likely. Uh, I don't know how that's going to go once they get, you know, even if they get into the playoffs and go up against the Lakers team. Uh, So they just might not have any other options. Yeah. Let's talk about that actually before we transition off Portland. So 
um, because my other interesting point was the just the 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 kind of forward rotation because the Ariza loss is is a big loss and I think I think you're with me on that so um, that leads to more minutes for Mario Zonia and more opportunities for Simmons and Trent and I just I look at this roster and it really it really is a roster it's it's a it's kind of a, a weird roster in that it's as far as the players who are actually going to play in the rotation, the eight, nine, ten guys that are going to play in the rotation, probably eight or nine, um, most of them are either guards or centers. Like there's not really a lot of a lot of forward action in their rotation. You know, you got a lot of a lot of guards, and granted, some guards are bigger, so you can stretch them to the three. And obviously, Mel is going to play a lot of four, so they're going to be able to kind of fill those minutes. But just from a pure basketball standpoint. They have a lot of guards and a lot of centers. They don't really have a lot of uh, a lot of small forwards and power forwards on their roster. So that's going to be an interesting thing to see what kind of lineups they throw out. Yeah, definitely. I look at a guy like Gary Trent, who averaged 20 minutes a game for Portland mm-hmm. during the regular season. And I mean, I would not be shocked because I like Gary Trent. Shot like 38%, I believe, or something from three yeah. this year. Uh, he, he's a rookie. But, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he's suddenly playing 30 minutes a game. And if Portland does get into the playoffs, if he's the primary matchup for LeBron. Yeah. You know, like, I would not be shocked because there's just not a better option on Portland's roster than Gary Trent. I don't know how that's going to go for Portland. I mean, I think he's, what, 6'4", maybe? Uh, But they just don't have anywhere else to turn. So they'll have to kind of hit, hope, hope. to hit on something like that uh just from deep in their rotation yeah yeah and that's and that's what gets interesting about portland is just it's just when you look at when you look at that and that's why trevor ariza is such a a big loss for them is because he was that he was that just total totally perfect uh three four that could that could switch on to guards for a little bit or they could or he could switch on to smaller forwards or bigger power forwards he was he was really the while also being able to stretch the floor on the other end. He was he was playing awesome for them right before the season ended. But um, but again, you can't knock Trevor Reza for deciding to be choosing to be a father over a basketball player. That's a that's a hundred percent a decision I support any day of the week. But it will be something that I think Portland outside of outside of Nurkic, I think Ariza kind of developed to being like that fourth most important player for Portland. Yeah, no, no doubt, and I agree. I mean, you can't knock them for uh, for opting out. If anybody has a personal issue that they want to opt out for uh, or another issue, you can't blame them. But, yeah, it leaves a big hole. It leaves a big hole on their perimeter that uh, I'm excited to see how they try to plug. Yeah. Let's jump to Utah. Now, Utah, I – Okay, I'll be honest with you. So I'm hoping – this is where I'm hoping that you can kind of – you, you can kind of – come with something because I was sitting there and I was like I was trying to look at numbers and stuff and just kind of and looking at what's the interesting thing about Utah but what really it always came back to just the the Bogdanovich injury just really really put a damper on Utah for me and as far as like taking them out of seriously being one of the elite teams in the in the western conference playoff race 
and now I see them as a first or at best second round team, which maybe they were already an at best second round team, but to lose a, a 20 point per game score is, is just is just something that almost no team in the history of, of the league is built to withstand. So I I find myself struggling and coming up with just, you know, as Utah, I'm going to watch them, but what does this bubble even mean for Utah? Because if I'm being honest with you, what I'm looking forward to most with Utah is the offseason and how they handle with everything that went on between Donovan and Rudy. They say they're fine. Uh, people have said but even before the whole coronavirus thing, they, they weren't real. There was some friction there between the two. And um, obviously, you know, what are they going to build or what are they going to build around that? Just the decisions that are coming for Utah in the offseason. So, Harrison, do you have anything that you're really looking forward to them on the court basketball wise as we as we come back to the bubble? Yeah, it's funny that you said it was kind of tough to come up with a tough ton of angles on Utah because I agree uh, the Jazz are just kind of boring you know uh, you know what they're going to do on offense mm-hmm. you know what they're going to do on defense uh, the Bogdanovich injury is obviously huge I think it definitely bumps them down a tier for me it's probably just like what is their closing five what is their best five without mm-hmm. Bogdanovich you know Mitchell's going to be out there you know Gobert is going to be out there you can probably slot Joe Ingles, who's been starting uh, in these scrimmages at the 3-4 Bogdanovich out there. Uh, and then kind of those last two spots are most likely likely between Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, and uh, Royce O'Neal. So it's going to yeah. be up to Quinn Snyder. You know, does he want offense and go with Clarkson? Does he want defense go with O'Neal? Does he want to go with just the steady hand in Mike Conley, who's who's looked okay over these scrimmages? So I feel like that is that's kind of the one thing up in the air for the Jazz. Who is that fifth guy, or really who is that fourth and fifth guy in the closing five? But um, I just don't feel like there's a ton of variance with Utah. You know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You, you you know for the most part who's going to make it happen for them. Um, yeah, there. I don't think there's like much of a ceiling or you know that they can even get up to. Yeah. And, and that's how I feel, and I'm glad you brought up the closing lineup because that brings to me the, the only uh, really interesting point that I was able to come up with, the only interesting angle, uh, is that I, I, do think that I do think that it will end up being ultimately the four or five, uh, four, fourth and fifth players in that closing lineup will be Mike Conley and Royce O'Neal. That's where I'm leaning right now. And that got me thinking to Conley and how the up and down season. So if there is really anything to watch, it's that now that Bogdanovich is down, this is an opportunity that does kind of force Conley to step up because he has had a has had for the most part a pretty underwhelming season in Utah, and um, this will be just very uh, very telling for Utah in their in their front office to see because that that pairing of of Donovan and, and, and Conley, which was so, uh, which was something that was just every NBA Twitter person's trade for for like a year and a half when it finally happened, has turned out to not be so great. But this is the opportunity for Mike Conley to not only show that hey he can he can step up and and um, and and shoulder more responsibility, and maybe with more responsibility you'll actually get a better Conley. Or, um, or you know, let them know that really, hey, this 
probably isn't working and they need to figure out something for the off season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see what happens. I wonder if Conley's just, his career's just dropping off pretty quick here. Mm-hmm. I hope it's not because I really like Mike Conley, but you got to wonder. I'm also just curious and looking forward to watching uh, just the Mitchell Gobert two man game because we can forget, you know, with all uh, the stuff that's happened over the last four months with the Jazz internally with Gobert and Mitchell and uh, the potential rift there that. No, those two are, are one of the deadliest pick and roll duos in the league, and we can forget that. And it's probably gotten to a point where Gobert's become a little underrated, and yeah. so I'm just excited to see those two and if their chemistry on the court has suffered at all uh, with everything else that has gone on. Because at their peak, you know, that's a pretty unstoppable pick and roll duo. Yeah, yeah, that's like you said, one of the best in the league, and. Um... And obviously a big part of pick and roll is trust and what they've gone through um, off the court definitely can play a, play a role and seep into it. Now, I think that, again, those two players just stylistically and the way they play, I think I think for the most part they'll be fine. Um, and, and, and that will continue to be an effective pick and roll and among one of the best in the league. But I do think I do think that there could be some potential drop it. So I will be curious to to really dig deep at the at the numbers. I'll be watching the games, but I'll be curious to dig deep at the numbers and see if the points per uh, possession on the pick and rolls that they that they run drop over the time because that w- that would be an indication of something going on between something's not right between the two of them still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only other kind of X factor for them, for me, is Jordan Clarkson. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because you, you've got, like, the Mitchell Gobert two-man game. And then, you know, you don't have much creation outside of that. <laughs> I feel you like their, their first option is always, you know, Mitchell Gobert, see if they can get something out of that combo. And then you just kind of throw it to Jordan Clarkson and mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the shot clock and just kind of let him go to work. I feel yeah. like we're going to see a lot of that. Oh, yeah. with Utah in the playoffs, especially without Bogdanovich. Oh yeah, and I and and th- I can't see anything going wrong with giving Jordan Clarkson twenty possessions a game with ten seconds left on the shot clock. Nothing wrong <laughs> at all. <laughs> all right, let's jump to Houston. So Houston's very interesting. Um, so I looked at their trade or their stats since the trade, the big trade that they made to to go small, the infamous now Capella trade, which is I think going to be looked back a lot in basketball history. It, regardless of how well this team finishes. Um, so since the trade, they are last in defensive rebounding, but second or third, I believe it was I believe it was third, but I'm not entirely sure it could have been second at forcing turnovers. So they so they've obviously given up rebounding, which is something that they were that they were comfortable with because they weren't a great rebounding team to begin with, and they felt that if teams want to try and punish on the offensive glass, Yes, you're going to get some offensive rebounds, but what you're also going to get is the times we do get rebounds, you are at a disadvantage, and we can push the four and presumably get an open three, and a three is greater than an open uh, than a putback two. So again, just the Houston math there. So um, with Houston, now obviously we're recording this as we don't know the severity of Gordon uh, of Eric Gordon's injury. He hurt his ankle last night and. The X-rays came back negative, and Mike D'Antoni said he'll miss a few days. So we're hope. It sounds like it's not going to be something, um, something super, uh, super long. But 
However, he was helped off the court pretty and very slow getting off the court. So we don't know what kind of uh, what, what kind of injury we're going to be dealing with for him. So my interesting thing, and then I'll kick it to you, is who are the players they trust besides their closing five, House and Rivers? So you're talking, you're talking Harden, you're talking Russ, Covington, uh, PJ, Gordon, assuming he's playing House and Rivers. That's seven, that's seven guys. I mean, what else does Houston have to trust? They signed Luka Mute. They um they have Tyson Chandler on the roster. Cephalosha didn't come with them. They have Jeff Green as well and Damari Carroll. Uh, is there anyone also Ben McElmore? Is there anyone you can see kind of coming into that uh coming into that and earning that trust to be like to force Houston to play eight guys? Because if you're playing seven, I mean if Eric Gordon has another cold series like he's had been having this season, uh that that drastically hurts your hurts your chances in a matchup. They 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 just have so little room for variance. I think that that's scary. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, but I don't know if this makes sense. But maybe it doesn't matter like who Houston trusts as much as it does for other teams, just because of the Rocket system and like okay. roles roles are so defined in Houston. Like you know, if you have an open three, just shoot it. And, and I was looking at um some of their numbers from these scrimmages, they shot 48 threes in their first scrimmage, then shot 51 in their second. And then they played last night and shot 57 threes. So so they're just absolutely putting it up from three in in these scrimmages. And I think that's going to actually bode pretty well for him because the more I think about it, I I think just the kind of pickup atmosphere, the pickup game atmosphere is going to really help shooters out without a crowd and whatnot. So yeah. I think it's going to be good for shooters. But, um, I mean, I just feel like they can plug Daniel House, they can plug Eric Gordon, they can plug Ben McElmore uh, into the lineup. And then, you know, if a guy's not hot from three, pull him, put one of those other guys in there yeah, and just kind of have that revolving door going. So, I feel like that's going to be Houston's strategy. And that, that's just actually also my, my biggest kind of uh, thing I'm looking forward to for them. Obviously the small ball, but just can they get hot and can they stay hot? Because you mm-hmm. know, if as a team they can go 40% from three in a game, they're going to win that game. They're just going to take enough threes where if they can shoot 40% or so as a team, they're going to win. Uh, yeah. If they shoot under 35%, you know, 32, 33% as a team, they might lose that game. So I'm just curious to see how the shooting translates. And yeah, if those role players, if the Daniel houses of the world, if the Ben Macklemore's of the world can make enough threes. You know, that's interesting. I never really thought of it the way, the way you presented it. And, and I like that. Maybe I'm overthinking it um, just because, you know, I'm looking at oh, obviously last year, Toronto's, Toronto's run last year was really eye-opening for, I feel, a lot of people and a lot of teams, just the way that they were able to kind of play a deep roster all throughout the playoffs. And then and, and so certain players who were playing well got to obviously get the green light and all of that versus when I'm looking at Houston. You know, they really only trust seven guys right now, but they're, they'll keep playing, like you said, other players. And I think that I think that you're right when it comes to specifically Houston and the way that the style of their offense is just, hey, don't overthink it. If you have yeah. it, shoot it. And 
we we live and die by it you know you have the ultimate green light everybody on this roster does and so that's something that I think is really really interesting about Houston and and I also like the fact that you pointed out just the fact that it will be kind of like a pickup style atmosphere that could bold well for shooting teams I really I really like that that's a that's an interesting thing I never I never really thought of mm-hmm. yeah another thing with Houston is just like their style of basketball is so simple and it's kind of going on what I talked about but you know if you have the open shot just take it and, and don't overthink it like you were saying and um I, I know I keep bringing it back to the nuggets but this is something that the nuggets are struggling with right now like they've had injuries they've it's taken a while for them to get their full roster down there. They haven't played a ton of five on five and practices outside the scrimmages uh, just because they haven't had the bodies that they normally do. And I just wonder for teams, if it, how long it's going to take to kind of get your chemistry, uh, get your timing down in your actions and in your play calls and whatnot. And with Houston, just playing a little bit more of a simpler brand of basketball, maybe that just helps them out a little bit in this environment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really interested to see Houston. So I I want to close with this with Houston before we get to your Denver Nuggets here. And maybe you'll maybe you'll disagree here, but I kind of have Houston and Houston and Denver I go back and forth with right now I'm leading I'm leaning Houston as being the team the non-LA team with the best shot to to with a deep run in the West. Is that where you stand? Are you standing with Denver? I, I think I would put Denver and Houston about on equal footing mm-hmm. it, 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 as far as kind of the third team or the next team up in the West behind the Lakers and the Clippers. Um, for, I mean, Houston, like I was kind of saying, I just think their style is going to translate really well. And look, it could just be the James Harden show for – you you know for for a a round or two and he can really carry them i feel like that's going to translate well um if denver is healthy and that still seems like it's going to be a big if uh and if they can kind of get get their stuff together uh, i feel like those teams would be about on equal footing there yeah yeah that's kind of how i've been back and forth between the two because i've i've really liked what denver has done and and I think now is the time to jump to Denver um, because Denver has been really really interesting to me. I think we got to talk three hours alone on Bulbul and what he's doing because <laughs> because that is taking the internet by storm. I mean I have I have several basketball group chats and they're they're they have different ranges. There are some of the basketball nerds like myself that that watch like every game religiously. And then they're and then they're like the people that play 2K and kind of watch basketball. And then there's the people that somewhat watch basketball and don't really like at all. And they're all just like, "Who's this giant that's just slinging threes right now? Like, what's going on in Denver?" So Bobo has just captured the attention of honestly probably one of the biggest stories of the bubble so far. And in, in the way he's played, he's averaging 35% from three with three blocks as well. Um, he he he's playing great. I mean that that's where I want to start. I mean I I know there's much more to talk about in in Denver than Bobo, but right now I mean he's playing very well and I and I really am liking how he's playing with with Jokic. Yeah, I I mean you're right. He has been the biggest story with the Nuggets. He's been one of the biggest stories of the bubble. And, and it's funny because like I was saying earlier, the Nuggets had 
like eight or nine guys for the first week, week and a half. <laughs> they were down at Disney World. So like by default, Bowl was really the only story. <laughs> he yeah. was the only storyline. And obviously he played uh, pretty well, I thought, for his first action and, you know, his first NBA action period. And really yeah. he hasn't played that much over the last like year plus. Uh, so he has been the story. And, um, you know, it's awesome. Uh, I, I'm sold on bull. I'm sold on his skill set. Uh, I mean, at seven foot two, I mean, he, he hand, handles the ball like a guard. I really like his basketball. IQ. He's had some pretty nifty passes in these games. Um, and then obviously he can shoot it. Uh, there were like when the nuggets would do shooting contests at the end of practice throughout the season, bull would win. Uh, some of those contests when he was practicing, particularly in like October, November, uh, he, he, he would win shooting contests uh, during Nuggets practices. So wow. I think the shot is legit. Um, and, and like th- there's been moments in these games where, you know, he's standing under the rim. Uh, an opposing shooter is getting set to shoot a three from the wing. And as that shooter is going into his motion, Bull can go from under the basket and contest that shot and almost get like a fingertip on it. So just the range he can cover on defense is is pretty incredible. Um, I don't know if there's any other rim protectors in the league who can cover as much ground as he can just on a single play. Uh, as far as like him playing in a playoff environment, I think the Nuggets are so deep and uh, still want to bring him along slowly that – I would be surprised if he plays a big role in a playoff game. Um, he, mm-hmm. he could get on the floor, I think, you know, for a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. But I'm not expecting him to be like a 20-minute-per-game guy in a playoff setting, uh, nor should he be. I just don't think no. he has the experience, especially defensively. He still makes a lot of mistakes, mm-hmm. as expected, just because he's got such few reps under his belt. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it has been a great story, and – I'm I'm super high on him. I, I think he can be a real impact guy going forward, uh, potentially next year, definitely the year after. And um, I, I just think he's such a unique player that if you don't think he can ha- have an impact and if you don't think he can be a player, I don't know what you're looking at. I, I, yeah. I'm, so, I'm sold on his skill. Me too. Me too. I, I would like to, you know, he falls to a lot of the, the rookie and just young plagues, right? Of yeah. the uh, of turning the ball over, missing reads on defense. Like those are the things that he has to work on. But like you said, the fundamental skill of ball handling is there. I agree with you there. Um, the even just the form itself looks good. Uh, I'm glad you were able to give me that little inside scoop on on Denver shooting practices because um, that that's also reassuring to me as well. But yeah, most of his game looks very. Uh, looks very translatable like it doesn't it you don't see him play and there's there's a difference and this is kind of hard to explain because this is an eye test thing but um when you're watching when you're watching players play you know how you just have there's certain players that they're playing in a garbage time game or scrimmage or a summer league game and you're like wow they're playing good but this doesn't project and I don't feel that way about Bulbul at all. I think I think he does project. And now again, his ceiling is a whole nother discussion. But I definitely think that he could be a useful player on a on a lot of teams' rosters going forward. And I'm really interested to see what he what he's able to do in Denver with Jokic, 
with Michael Porter Jr. and all all just the the, the just the depth that Denver has is a luxury. I could see Bull Bull getting a game or two in the playoffs where somebody's in foul trouble like Mason Plumley or Jokic is in foul trouble and they need uh they need an extra big to come in for a couple minutes. That's how I could really see him getting some some uh decent playoff playoff run or obviously an injury or something something along those lines. But I don't think he would be like you said, like the first one of the first guys to get twenty minutes in, in the playoffs. Yeah, and it's kind of comparable to like a little bit of the impact that Michael Porter Jr. makes in the sense that you know when he's out there, like he just makes stuff happen. Like you, you look yeah. down, and you know suddenly he's got some rebounds, he's got a couple baskets, and just like the impact he makes is so tangible. Um, he's always like doing something when he's out on the court. So. Yeah, it's been a great story. Um, I don't know how big of a role he's going to play in the playoffs, but it's funny because Denver has this core right now, and I was actually talking about this on the podcast last night, but Denver has this core right now of Jokic and Murray, and then they have this second core of Michael Porter Jr. and Bull. And, I I mean, I can never remember a contending team that has a a core of, you know, two – all-star level or I guess in Jamal Murray's case borderline all-star level guys and then has this you know separate younger core of two guys who definitely have all-star skill sets as well it's pretty unique yeah and that's actually what that's actually the other thing that I listened to your podcast and I and I wanted to talk about on this podcast here because when when you guys talked about that I was like I was like wow that is something special the, the fact that they have they have two all-stars or an all-star and a half let's say right now and you have one who's absolutely a franchise cornerstone and the other player who projects to be if not um if not on that level um right below it and very uh very important and like a second or third option on a on a title contending team all things considered looking at the ceiling and then you have these two young prospects who are really, really good prospects. And they both can project. You can see, again, with Bobo, I mean, his potential is a whole other thing. I don't know what his, I don't even know to begin where I, where I see his, his maximum potential is ceiling because it's, he's such a, he's such a unique player, but um, you have him and then Michael Porter Jr. who I, who I, really like and I'm all in on Michael Porter Jr. I see I, I see you see two players who potentially project to be very, very good down the line as well. And so they, they almost have to thread this needle and I like that you guys talked about the fact that it's a blessing and a curse as a coach. It's a problem you'd like to have, but also it's stressful because you're caught between this win now and help propel the future. And it's just really interesting what Denver's got, and it's a great situation. And as, and as a Piston fan who has who, who we don't have the contender direction and we don't have the building direction, I am very envious that you have both. <laughs> uh, Luke Kennard is not in that class for you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Christian Wood, though, I like Christian Wood a lot. I will say that. Yeah, I like Christian Wood too. Um, no, you kind of mentioned it there, and I guess I can kind of jump into the biggest thing I'm thinking about for Denver here as we look as they head into the playoffs, but it is the Michael Porter jr. Factor. 
Uh, it is what his role is going to be. Uh, how many minutes is he going to play? Uh, how long of a leash is Michael Malone going to give him? Because, you know, in Denver, that was the main storyline all season. Uh, there was a lot of hype about Michael Porter Jr. over the summer, what he was doing in practices and, uh, and workouts behind the scenes. And then, you know, it took a little bit for him to get into the rotation. And then, um, you know, he had a, a couple really good stretches. He had a great January when he was playing 20, 25 minutes a game. But uh, really for the other parts of the season, he just could never really find a rhythm. And um, he, he made a lot of mistakes, particularly defensively, like a lot of rookies do. But it was tough for Michael Malone because he was trying to toe that line, like you were saying between developing this guy, Michael Porter Jr., who uh, you said you were sold on him. I'm absolutely sold, too. I think he could average 20 points a game right now if he was playing enough minutes. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, Especially he, on a bad team. Like, yeah. throw him on my Pistons. We'll take him. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, I, I think he, he's an incredible talent and yeah. absolutely, like, uh, a surefire all-star eventually. Um, but, you know, Michael Malone was trying to balancing developing him with, you know, jockeying for a really good seed in the West and you know, making sure they had home court in the first round. And uh, also which now it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, which now doesn't matter. And also playing the guys who got them there last year. And uh, it, it was tough for him and tough for the Nuggets to balance that while they were fielding a contending team. Um, so that's the biggest storyline for me with the Nuggets. Um, he, he looked amazing in this third scrimmage of the first one that he played uh, down inside the bubble because he was a late arrival as well. But he looked mm-hmm. amazing the other night. Um, so I, I feel like he's going to get a chance definitely to play. Uh, he'll pro- probably be the first wing off the bench like he was in that scrimmage. And um, if he can just hold it together enough defensively, uh, I- I've got to think that it's setting up to be a big, uh, maybe not big, but a-, a pretty substantial playoff run for him. Yeah, man. I, I agree with you. I think he's a he's a big linchpin in in the success of Denver and just how much can he give them in the postseason? Uh, because I think they just I, I think especially among those positions among the the forwards positions, um, they have a lot of interesting players who I like a lot, and yet um, they all seem to kind of rotate and have their moments and all of that. And I think that that's something that Denver really needs to. Um, if one of those players can solidify and consistently establish themselves in that in that hierarchy of of Jeremy Grant of um, of Tory Craig of all that, if, if there's somebody that can establish themselves in that hierarchy, it's Michael Porter Jr. And if he can do that, that bolts very well for Denver's next season. Because I mean, just look back to last season when Denver was in the playoffs. How big was Zach Collins, the young guy for for Portland? He was huge in that series. He played. He played. I thought he played fantastic against Denver last season. You know, he had some mistakes, uh, of course, some some bad reads and all of that. But for the most part, he was a he was one of their most impactful players for Portland in this series against Denver, which they ultimately ended up winning. So, um, so definitely don't be scared of of young guys contributing because I mean, a guy like Michael Porter Jr. I could see him impacting a series maybe not to that extreme of a level but close to the level that Zach Collins was was impacting the series last year with Portland yeah I think he can do it and 
when, when kind of comparing him to those other role players on the Nuggets roster, um, like maybe, you know, Paul Millsap, Will Barton, Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant, those guys might give you like more consistent two-way offense and defense impact on a night's night basis. But like Michael Porter Jr. can take the team and raise the team ceiling to a level that those guys can't. Right. Like, like if Michael Porter Jr. is giving the Nuggets what he gave them the other night in that scrimmage, uh, I think, you know, Denver is much closer to uh, the Lakers and Clippers than they are right now. Um, you know, if Paul Millsap is doing that, yes, the Nuggets are, are still a really good team, but I don't think he can take them to the level that MPJ can. So he can just raise their ceiling and just kind of give that, gives that offense an entirely new dynamic because – Something that doomed Denver in the playoffs last year was they had obviously like an incredible quarterback of their offense in Jokic, one of the more imaginative centers ever, one of the best playmaking bigs ever. But they were pretty easy to game plan for because you shut off Jokic, you shade to Murray, and you just let everybody else beat you. That's what Portland did, and it worked for them in the end. Um, there are other factors, of course, but I felt like a big one was just teams knew how to game plan for Denver. And that was even the case in the San Antonio series in the first round, which uh, the Spurs pushed the Nuggets to seven games and the Nuggets were a way better team than the Spurs, but they could shut off Jokic and limit Murray and then just let everybody else try to beat them. If you have Michael Porter Jr., that adds an entirely new dynamic because he's so gifted on the ball offensively. He's not a typical rookie. And um, he just produces like it's really been the case all season when he's gotten minutes. Uh, he's been a little inconsistent. Maybe sometimes the jumper hasn't been great. He had an ankle injury also uh, right before the season shut down where he wasn't playing that well. But for the most part, when he's gotten minutes, he's been a force offensively. Yes, he's been he's been a electric is is probably the best word I can say. Like he is a he is a jolt of energy for for Denver and he is the guy that can the 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 quote unquote system breaker. And those are really, really valuable come playoff time. Like those kind of players that can just make something happen offensively, defensively. You know, you talked about how um, how you might get more consistent play from some of those other wings throughout the throughout the playoffs, but he's the he's the guy that can unlock that next level, that other dynamic that you just that is that makes the offense ten times harder to uh, to account for because now you have this other this other dynamic scoring creation that you have to as a defense adjust to and worry about. And so that's what that's what I think Michael Porter Jr.'s impact can be for Denver. And you're right, if he can if he can play consistently in the playoffs um, very well, I think he can he can really be uh, one of the guys that um, that helps close the, the gap in uh, between between Denver and the LA teams and maybe the Houston teams. Which, like I said, I have Houston above Denver right now, but it's but it's close. So. Um, yeah, he's the key to unlocking a lot of Denver's playoff success. And the other thing about Porter is that like, he can obviously score and shoot and shot make, but he, he does other things as well. Like Michael Porter Jr. led 
all small forwards in rebound percentage of this season. He, yeah, he excellent was, rebounder. Yeah, he's an incredible rebounder. Um, he, he's the best small forward rebounder in the league this season. Uh, just like an incredible nose for the ball. I, obviously, his height, 6'10", 6'11", at the three helps a lot in that. And you know, he just is relentless attacking mm-hmm. the glass, especially the offensive glass. Um, and I like, and, I like he's he's made some good passing reads to that. Like he's shown a little bit of that that I like. He he's a high IQ offensive player, and, and throughout the season, he showed a real nice chemistry with Nikola Jokic, just mm-hmm. cutting off of Jokic, moving without the ball, moving in the Nuggets read and react system. And it's funny, way back in training camp, uh, it took like three practices for Nikola Jokic to declare Michael Porter Jr. the best cutter on the team. It, t- it took three practices. So wow. uh, he's got a really high IQ, and obviously he's a huge target at six foot ten, uh, both under the rim and as a lob threat as well. So he, he, like I said, he changes the entire dynamic of Denver's offense. Defensively is the only reason why he's, you know, not playing 25 minutes a night, to be quite honest. And, mm-hmm. like, rookies just struggle defensively. That's something that rookies mm-hmm. do. And he had some really bad moments defensively, but just because of his instincts and his IQ, I think those are both really high. So long term, I project him to be yeah. actually a fine defender. Yeah, I would. I would be stunned if he's not. Uh, I, great is too high of an expectation, but very solid defender. Because you're right, the the rebounding, the instincts, the the way he reads offenses. Um, I think that I think that that all projects well to being a good defender because he the biggest thing with defense is your instincts and your effort and I think both of those are there for him not on the defensive side of the ball yet but I think that those are two things that are innate in his game I think he does play with a good level of effort and I think he does have as we as we talked about just a a natural feel and IQ for the game of basketball so I think that once he learns to put those tools together defensively, I think he can absolutely be a um, be a cog in one of the in one of the better defensive lineups that this team can throw out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, he he, he is the biggest storyline for me just because of how high he can raise the Nuggets ceiling. Um, I, I mean, there's a lot of other storylines for Denver. Everybody likes to talk about the skinny Jokic uh, storyline <laughs> as well. To be quite oh, yes. honest, he looks very similar right now that he looked when the season shut down. I don't see that much of a difference. Uh, maybe he's turned a little of that body weight into muscle, but he looks pretty much like the same guy right now that he was when the season ended. So I think he's going to be about the same type of player. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of ways you can go with Denver. Yeah. And last thing I want to say on Denver, because you brought up Jokic, is uh... – I would be remiss to not mention that one of my group chats for fantasy basketball, which is a bunch of my friends, and my friends are wide-ranging basketball fans from uh, from people that that watch it as much as I do to people that barely watch it but are but are very interested in it. So that so we have this fantasy league between all all my friends and Jokic was Jokic was the talk of the season. Like he was he was a lot of the we had so many jokes about about Jokic in the um, in the group chat and everything. He's just he, he's a really fu- he's a really funny guy. He's he's easily become one of my most beloved players. 
Yeah, um, he's he's great. He's uh, and just kind of being around him the last couple of years, he's so unlike all other NBA superstars, and that's what makes him uh, super unique, or a part of what makes him super unique. You know, just so unselfish, doesn't want any of the limelight, doesn't want any of the credit. Um, would much rather hype a teammate up than talk about his thirty or forty point game, and so. Um, I, I am very curious to see what he does in the playoffs, though, especially coming off of last year's playoff run where, you know, he was the best player in both of those series that Denver was in against the Spurs and the Trailblazers. Um, yeah. That was a huge moment for him. He was an absolute beast in the playoffs last year. So very curious to see if he can, you know, um, if he can follow that performance up with something even better and just kind of how he how he does in this uh in this restart because you know he he could take another step yeah and that's what i'll be all jokes aside i'll i'll be uh i'll be definitely watching because Jokic is to me Jokic is and and just from uh not only from a basketball perspective but from a like a fan perspective in the in the in the value of the league like Jokic is if Yo- it is a great thing if Jokic can be a transcendent player for the NBA because of the I mean he already is but to take that next level because because what when you look at like a lot of the way that the, a lot of the great players in the league um, they they have different ranges to their games for sure but to to have a big man that can play the way he plays and be transcendent and impact winning and be a championship contender with a player like that I think is really interesting for the league because it offers just another uh, another interesting way to win and I think that that's something that um that a lot of people value because I hear a lot of people from the casual fans of a basketball that don't not necessarily understand the u- nuances you and I do that essentially like uh, uh most players play um, a relatively similar game and you need a relatively similar styled player to win a championship and all of that. So I would love to see Jokic be that guy that can, um, that can break that mold and just give, give us a more diverse basketball. That's fun to watch. Yeah. In Denver, we always talk about um, the comparisons to Dirk and uh, we always think that, you know, maybe that Dallas championship team is, a model for the Nuggets to uh, mm-hmm. to to achieve. Like if they were to win a championship, it would probably be, you know, kind of patterning that their run after what Dallas did uh, with Dirk. And I, I think there are a lot of actually similarities to Dirk and Jokic. And just um, you know, their games are unique, of course, and uh, obviously they're both international guys leading teams here. So I th- feel like Denver could follow potentially a similar path. Yeah, and well, that we did a lot more time on Denver than I thought, but that's okay because I love Denver. I'm fascinated with Denver. Harrison, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, as always, listeners, if this is your first time hearing of Harrison Wind, I have all of his all of his links and his Twitter, his um, his podcast site, the DNVR. Uh, all of that will be in the description of this podcast. Harrison, I greatly appreciate you giving me time for this for this podcast. It was fun to talk basketball. I, I enjoyed the, the insight that you gave me on Denver, especially because I find them, like I said, one of the most fascinating teams. So why don't you um, – 
go ahead and plug your work because I'm sure you can do it better than I can. I'll have the links in the description, like I said, but I'll, I'm sure you can promote yourself better than I can promote you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Chris. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's just at Harrison Wind. And then um, my podcast, like Chris said, the DNVR Nuggets podcast. And all our work is on the DNVR.com. All right. Perfect. And um, without further, oh, one more thing I have to say, one more Jokic joke before I close the podcast here. Um, I have to ask on behalf of all my friends, Nicole Jokic is not drinking Coca-Cola anymore, right? No. He's given up on pop. Yeah, he curbed that habit. He curbed that habit uh, a while ago, so. No no more soda for him, yeah. (laughs) Good, good. All right. Thank you, Harrison, for coming on the podcast, man. I greatly appreciate you, and I'll be having you back on as to talk Denver at a later date. No problem. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.